You know what you're listening to, right? Three, two, one. Uzima Health and Wellness. What the doctor say? Hey, this is Dr. K from Uzima Health and Wellness. And today we're talking to Dr. Richard Moses on our Thoughts Along the Way segment. So Dr. Moses, welcome to the show. I think I know you. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Dr. K. I truly appreciate being on the show with you. Well, Well, let me tell you why I think I know you. First of all, you just finished from the United States Navy Department of Anesthesia Residency Program. You came in this eager resident that I took notice of that I knew was smart and sharp and uh, one of my favorites. You serve your country and you continue to continue to serve your country. And you also are a black male physician. And we're going to start from the top. How did you go from high school to college to medical school? We're going to break it up in segments. Before we get started, as you mentioned, I am in the military, so there's a disclaimer that I have to put out there. Anything that I say in my personal opinions have no reflection on the United States government, United States military, or any aspects of the Department of Defense. With that being said, for me, medicine was something that I thought about in middle school. So in middle school, I was kind of finding myself. I started out as a kid with emotionally disturbed, anger management, uh, learning disability. You? No. God, God will do it. And God does it, never looks the same. Amen. Well, it's God and some and some logistics. This is something that we have to talk about in the Black community because yeah. God will do it. But there are also some things that have to be, if we get biblical, they say faith without deeds is dead, right? That's true. Okay, so let's talk about the deeds that had to be done to help you as a young, angry middle schooler knowing that you could be a doctor. Yeah, so it really started after I reached the last school. So this was a special education school. It was the last stop before boarding school. In that place, I was like, okay, I don't want to go to boarding school, but at the same time, I still don't have my life together. I came across two teachers, Ms. Simpson and Ms. Woods. This was probably in about sixth grade. They got me interested in reading. I started reading, and the way that they did this because they gave us incentives. So it's like, hey, if you read the most books, you went to Six Flags, you got special lunches, you went out to different places. So I started reading, and then we got into a section of learning where it was about writing. So I wrote a poem, and they were like, oh, this is awesome. We're going to submit it to these places. And then it just continued to build from there, and they started kind of speaking life into me, saying, oh, you can do whatever you want to do. So at that point, I told them, hey, I want to be the first Black president of the United States of America. I don't know what they were on. But they were crazy enough to believe it. Uh They're like, you're going to do it. You're going to be that next person. Meanwhile, you have to keep in mind that at this point in my life, I have been failing. So everybody else around me is like, no, you're not going to be the president. So so everybody around you, Dr. Moses, who was that around you? Because, you know, we say it takes a village as well. Mm -hmm. So who was your village? So I was raised by my mom, along with four other siblings. Mm -hmm. Uh, With that, that comes with a series of other struggles. Like she had to work primarily. Single? Single. She didn't finish college. So at that point, she was working like Wendy's and a lot of other jobs to kind of make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it came to me acting up and having to be taken to different schools, she was missing out on work. Mm-hmm. So for her, her goal was let me get him into a stable place, do yeah. what's necessary so that I can continue to take care of the family. And you are the oldest? I'm in the middle. Shout out to where you're from. So I'm from New Jersey, raised throughout Essex County. Newark. Or- Irvington, Orange, East Orange, you name it. I like to live there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that you said that because I remember a documentary on 60 Minutes about this boarding school 
in New Jersey that helped urban Black boys. It was a Catholic school, St. Benedict's Prep. They did a great documentary on them. So you were in the New Jersey area. We already know Newark is an urban city, an Mm -hmm. urban city that does have some great things, but it definitely has its elements of blight, gun violence, poverty, and like you're, you're, what I love about you is being so honest. Your mother worked for Wendy's and you, you relied on school teachers to come in and, and basically create this village to help this, your mom, who's a single mom with children who wants the best for them, obviously. So you get through these rough periods, mm-hmm. no drugs, no gun violence, no gangs, right? I, I would love to say that there was no, uh, there was some. My mom was very strict. She was uh, old-fashioned in the sense that she believed in chastising. Oh, okay. Uh, belt and anything else that was within hand's reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anytime I strayed too far, she was waiting for me. That kind of kept me on track. At one point, I started to get involved in some gangs. At one point, I started to get involved with drugs. Not personally, mm-hmm. but there are different aspects of my life where I had exposure. Exactly. Okay. To be honest with you, that can lead to normalization. So you get through these, uh, like I said, you're learning to read, you're learning to see mm-hmm. how you're trying to project yourself into the future and you get yeah. to high school. The middle school part, I think it's the most important part because it was at this moment that I kind of felt as if I was at my lowest, but heading in the right direction. And that's when I decided I wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And my whole reason for wanting to be a doctor, I was like, hey, you know what? Right now in this moment, I don't trust anybody. And mm-hmm. I think my kids will be the most important thing that ever happens to me. And I don't trust anybody to deliver my kids. So I started out wanting to be a doctor so I can deliver my own kids. That was literally it. <laughs> All right. You are a middle child. So that means you got some, some siblings underneath you. And so you are, you're, you're kind of a caregiver, mm-hmm. nurturer. I, I would agree. So coming out of that season of my life, I already knew where I wanted to go. By the time I graduated middle school, we were having the discussion of whether or not I should go back to public school. Mm. At this point, I have had great behavior. I was excelling in my classes. Everybody was happy. We had a discussion with my mom and granted, I understand her position. It was, well, you know, you've been doing so good. I don't know what it's going to be like to send you back to a public school. Mm. So what we came up with is that I would go to a step down special education school, which was like an intermediate Mm -hmm. between public school and the level of care that I was receiving at the other one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went there, did it for about a half a year. And at that point we moved to Orange, New Jersey. Mm. Orange, New Jersey said, hey, you know what? We have a special ed program in our public schools. We're not going to pay for him to go there. So my mom came back to me. She said, hey, they said they're not going to pay for you to go there. I will fight if you want me to. I was ready to go back to public school. So I said, no, let me go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I ended up going to Orange High School, transferring in the middle of my freshman year. Mm -hmm. What I learned in that moment is I had spent my entire life saying I was abnormal that I wasn't behaving like normal kids mm-hmm. to arrive in a public school in a special ed class where all the kids in the regular classrooms were behaving similar to the way I used to. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you remember getting tested? I did get tested. Every year I did have my IEP, which I don't know what it stands for, but I know it's a requirement when you're in the system. Individual educational plan. That's what it okay. stands for. We have this argument and this is a whole different segment um, about, you know, young Black boys being relegated to special education. Mm-hmm. But for you at this point, it sounds like it gave you a lifeline. Correct. That, yeah, because, you know, we have some awesome special education teachers who recognize that just because you're in special education does not mean you're not gifted and talented. Someone Correct. said the same, that you have to realize that 
special education, special, and I'm doing quotation marks, is also, it goes under gifted and talented if parents only knew that. Yes. So that's, uh, that's amazing. So tell me about high school. So high school, it was a straight shot. I was on a path. I think what was planted in me inside the sixth grade really carried me through the next few years to come. So once I got into high school, they had me in special education classes. Um, they were like, you don't belong here. So they put me in regular classes. I went into regular classes. The kids were still acting up. So I didn't really learn much throughout high school because I was a good kid. So by nature of being a good kid, a lot of times I got away without doing any of the work because there wasn't a lot of work. Ah, wow. Yeah, because the teacher is constantly trying to get all the other students in line. So I made it through high school. Rutgers came to Orange High School to do an interview. I was really close to my guidance counselor, Ms. Richburg, at that time. And she said, hey, Rutgers is coming. I want you to see them. Mm. So when they came, I sat inside the guidance counselor office with the recruiter, talked to them. I was accepted. SAT? GPA? Nothing. It was really, you come in, you talk to them. I guess there was some type of program that they had with the high school where they came in, they sat with a few kids, and then they decided to accept them or not. Now, I'm going to tell you what the most important thing you just told me, and it also happened for me, and that is my guidance counselor handpicked me. That happened to me several times in my high school where I was handpicked for certain programs. I remember going to the Rice and Baylor Biomedical Symposium in Houston. I'd never really been on the campus of Rice. I was an urban inner city child, but my counselor said, you're doing this. And she also sent me to Morehouse School of Medicine to do a biomedical symposium with mm -hmm. the other hand-selected students. Again, my guidance counselor, who I love, Ms. McGowan of Houston, a legend, and her husband was also in public service, said, there's something about you. And so I'm, I'm just saying that we're so fortunate, even though we're urban city kids with our own struggles with family and what have you, to, to have a village that includes teachers, guidance counselors, and, and they, they've been rare. And with COVID, I'm almost non-existent. And that's just very detrimental to the path, the trajectory, as you're mm -hmm. thinking about this. So what else? What else? have We go to Rutgers. We're Rutgers now. We're getting jiggy with it. But you said you was just a quiet kid. So you passed through high school. So what was college like? <laughs> so college. So I decided to go to Rutgers simply because I went to the campus. I absolutely loved it. One of the most beautiful campuses I've ever been on. I have a thing for open fields. They just kind of make me feel as if I can do anything. I can just run knowing I can't make it to the other side. Well, back then I could, now I can't. <laughs> uh, but I just feel like I just want to run all the way to the other side. And they have one of those fields there. And I said, I'm going here. Uh, so I showed up freshman year, went into the SEBS EOF program, so School of Environmental and Biological Sciences, mm -hmm. Education Opportunity Fund for first-generation college students. Oh, okay. All right. Um, there, I didn't know it, but I was becoming a part of one of the best groups possible. So I met somebody who was still in my corner to this day called Dean Fraser Foster, who was a force to be reckoned with. And I remember during that summer program, we would sit down in a circle, all the students, and he said, hey, you know what, we're going to talk about what is going to keep you on track. You know, when things start to get tough for you, when you feel like you're quitting, what is going to be the thing that brings you back to being focused on being here? And I said to him in that moment, I said, it's my future kids. Mm. And we had an argument. <laughs> he said, well, you need somebody who is physically here, who is going to hold you accountable. I said to him, I said, you know, the thing about people who are physically here is they can let me down. Oh, my future kids, they can't let me down because they're not here. 
Wow. Dr. Moses, you was really into having these children, then wasn't you? <laughs> I was. And you, I know, was. you don't have any children now. No children yet. No children Okay, I understand. Yet. I just for the record, let the record <laughs> say nothing else. Like but said, that was what was guiding me. That was my guidance. Your future children slash family. Okay. All right. So we're getting through college. Now, what was your major again? Because that sounds like a mouthful. So I was a biology major. I majored Bio. in biology. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to go into medicine. I didn't really know how to get there. Okay. I didn't know how to get there. When I first arrived, I signed up with the health professions office, which okay. is the office that's supposed to help you navigate, get into this process. You want a letter from them when you apply to medical school. Mm -hmm. Being a part of the SEBS EOF program, a lot of their counseling and guidance is in-house. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of programs and things that they set you up with that's in-house. And usually they can guide you through a variety of stuff and they'll kind of send you off where they need to. Mm -hmm. um, so I went through undergrad, sophomore year, I took chemistry and biology because I came and taken all remedial courses. I had base composition, pre-calculus, so I wasn't really qualified to take science courses. Mm -hmm. um, but sophomore year, I took chemistry, I took bio. I came out with two C's. Mm. I thought wow. to myself... I'm not going to make it into medical school. You took calculus? I took calculus. Mm -hmm. I went and talked to my guidance counselor. And my guidance counselor said, well, hey, you know what? You can continue to go down the medical school pathway. And you can also consider going into grad school. And that was the discussion we had. And I walked out and I said, well, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take even more credits and more science courses. Because either I'm going to medical school or there's going to be no chance at all. That's it. Mm. Um, so the following semester, I took up word of 21 credits. Majority what? and I uh, came out with the best GPA. And from that point on, I was making three sevens, three nines or better. This is just God just working, just working. Not, well, again, <laughs> we're going to thank Almighty. We're going to give God all the credit. But we also need to understand too, and I'm being all serious because sometimes when we do say, oh God, oh God, please let me pass this test. And you know, you have not studied, okay? Let's just keep it real. There must have been some amount of sacrifice, focus, reorganization, and discipline that you were doing with the help of the Almighty that was occurring. Because that truly is what has to happen. You have to start to say, look to my right, look to my left, and let me do the straight and the narrow. Mm -hmm. Because other than that, no matter how much praying, wishing, hoping, uh, God must be saying, if you're not going to use the, 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 the discipline and the focus, then what, what we got? So you have to tell me, did you join study groups? Did you have a study partner? Did, you know, who was your biggest cheerleader as you start to get these grades to turn around? As you mentioned already, Faith Without Works is dead. <laughs> so a, a large part was studying, studying really late at night. At the same time, I was also working. Fortunately, I had a best friend or I still have a best friend who's now like my sister who was going into veterinary medicine, mm -hmm. which is even more difficult and challenging. So the way that it would work out is we would study together. If she had an exam, I was up studying all night with her. And if I had an exam, she was up studying all night with me. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of, we leaned on each other in that way. Right. That's what folk need to understand. You are the company you keep. And uh, I've always said that. And you need to find a good accountability partner, study partner, 
I still talked to my study partner for medical school. We used to just go at it. Who could stay up the longest studying the most and the hardest? And you better come out with these answers. What was your grade when you, what happened? Why you didn't, you must've been, you fell asleep. That's why you didn't stay as long as I did. So you gotta have that person. What else was going on? At the same time, I still had the EOF department kind of working Mm-hmm. behind the scenes for me. So they were putting me in contact with a lot of different programs. I got to do a summer research program at Yale University. Oh, really? That was eye-opening in itself. To be in a wet lab, it definitely changed the perspective of undergraduate medical school and everything that came afterward. Uh-huh. Uh, what I realized is the work that we do inside school is easy. Uh-huh. You know, you put yourself in a wet lab where you're trying to discover and find things that haven't been discovered yet. Right. So what's something you worked on? Uh, so I worked with uh, protein. So I was doing protein analysis, uh, primarily doing a lot of PCR tests. So at this point, I'm kind of young in my uh, studies and training. So a large part of it was kind of getting the technical aspect of it. And just generally just looking at different protein structures and understanding biochemistry and analysis. But okay, so that's something that we do just even before you don't know where it's going to lead to, but you have to kind of get your, like you said, a wet lab or just kind of understanding what bench work involves. And so how do we get to medical school? What's, what happens? Are you getting out of college and then you apply to medical school? So at this point, I've been focusing on head down, just focusing on getting through undergrad. I looked up at the end of my junior year. Mm-hmm. I looked up at the end of my junior year and said, okay, well, what is the next step? Mm-hmm. When I did, I learned that I had to take the MCAT, <laughs> to, uh, get a few letters of recommendations, right. one in the health professions office. And this is where life gets a little interesting because as I'm going around, I stopped in to have my meeting with the health professions office at Rutgers University. Uh, I sat down with the lady. She said, well, hey, one, we don't know you here. Two, you don't have all the science courses under your belt at this moment. You should take a year off and reapply. OMG. So back to the drawing board again, you know, it's like back to having two C's in my science courses. I went back and I looked at what can I do? It turns out that if I have a letter from science professors and also a dean who happens to be Dean Fraser Foster, mm-hmm. dean of my program, mm-hmm. I could still apply. So I reached out to them. They were all really happy to write me a letter. Mm-hmm. They submitted my letters. I took my MCAT that summer, didn't do the best in the average range. And then it came time for application seasons. Shameless plug or not, for those who are first generation who don't have a lot of money, at that time, they were offering free application. If you apply for a program, I can't recall the name, but you can apply to like 10 or 15 medical schools and they'll pay for your primaries and secondaries because this process can get really expensive. Of course, yes. I I did that program. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I applied for it and uh, I applied to medical schools and my first interview was at Howard University. Mm-hmm. Told my dean about it. He was able to get some money, was able to pay for my train, my lodging. I went, I interviewed, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came home within about three weeks. I had a letter in the mail. Oh, wow. A letter in the mail. First person I called is probably about eight o'clock at night at this point. <laughs> yeah. I called my dean. I said, Dean Foster, I got a letter. I got a letter. <laughs> well, is it a big letter or a small letter? I said, well, it's a big letter. He said, all right. Because it was a small one, I'll tell you, let it sit there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, so I opened the letter, and then it's acceptance. It's okay. an acceptance to Howard University Medical School. I'm excited. At this point, nothing else matters. Yeah. Like I'm, I love the school. I'm already into it. I don't need to go to another interview. I'm done. 
interesting. But fast forward, I then end up getting a letter from Penn State saying, hey, we would like to have you come in for an interview. Mm -hmm. I'm like, All right, well, this is within driving distance. I can just drive out there and drive back. So I drove out to Penn State, had my interview. During that interview, there were some uh, risky discussions that happened, one revolving around, oh, wow, you come from a concrete jungle. A concrete, yeah, those type of words, those cold <laughs> words. Yeah, I, I, I know the cold words. I know cold words in the interview, too. It's amazing what we have to hear in these interviews that you're like, could you have said this to another applicant? But that's all right. We got to keep the end game. You got to keep, you got to keep the end game in mind. So, okay. So, whoa. So after you come from the concrete jungle moment, what do you say? We talked about it. We kept it moving. Um, I left Penn State saying, hey, I'm never coming back here. Mm. Within about a month later. Yes. I got another letter and it was an acceptance to Penn State along with the scholarship. Uh-oh. Dollar bills, y'all. Dollar bills. Family household (laughs) without a lot of money. Um, I remember sitting on my couch. Mm-hmm. I was listening to John Legend. This time I won it all. Ah. Because I, I let it get down to the final time where you have to make a decision of whether or not you're going to accept it or not. Okay. I end up accepting the position at Penn State. Because of the scholarship. The scholarship. It's a tough decision because I, I and uh, I've been there, wanted to go to an historically black medical school. And you just can't figure out the finances. And it almost brings tears to your eyes because Mm. you just really know that you don't have a lot of room to make a decision that could financially, you know, be compromising. And Mm. you want to make sure that you go to medical school and not have to worry about money. It's a tough one. So I feel you on that one, Dr. Moses. I really do. So how'd it go? So this is also an important point. Before I get to medical school, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about that transition piece. Please tell me, please. This is thoughts uh, so, along the way, by the way. This is thoughts along the way. So finishing out my senior year, uh, we're in the spring semester now. We've already been accepted into medical school. We still have some serious science courses to finish. I think in my spring semester, I was still taking biochemistry, system physiology, human parasitology. I still had an organic chemistry lab that I had to finish. That's a lot of sciences before you got, you got accepted and you still had all these to take? I started my sciences in my sophomore year, so I was behind. I was determined to get out in four. So I still was kind of crunching everything in. Wow. Mm -hmm. But during this process, I applied for the United States Army uh, Health Profession Scholarship. Mm. I applied for them because there were three thoughts in my mind. One, I wanted to serve my country. Two, I wanted to travel the world. And three, they were going to pay for medical school. Mm. It was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, yeah. I applied. I started the process, but it kind of fizzled out. No follow-up. The recruiter is hard to get in contact with, so I left it alone. And that happens sometimes, too. They don't start to, your recruiter don't respond to you. And you can be like, where am I? And it's easy to talk yourself out of it. Okay, I get it. Yeah, but I remember my last final exam, which was system physiology. And I did all the math because I had to make sure I passed these courses unless it didn't matter that I got accepted. Uh, but I did all the math and I was walking to my last final exam. At this point, I could fail that exam and still pass. Okay. And I remember there's a song, I think I named Sia. It says, shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. Mm. identifying that I'm at a point where nothing can go wrong. This chapter is already done. So I went and I took that exam. I finished, left Rutgers University, went to Penn State, moved in, got hit with the biggest bill on day one. It was 60 grand. I I graduated undergrad with 25 grand. For (laughs) one year, it was 60 grand at Penn State. 
And that was um, probably what your housing and some other things? Correct. Ah. Correct. And that was before the scholarship, but it was still going to be a boatload. And it just so happens that on day one, they also have an orientation where the United States Army, the United States Air Force, and the United States Navy all come out and talk about the Health Profession Scholarship Program. Mm -hmm. Yes. With all that in mind, and I had applied for loans, but I didn't qualify for loans. You didn't qualify. I didn't qualify. I had made some, uh, I had made a reckless decision in undergrad, which put a debt on my credit report. My mom didn't have the credit to co-sign for me. I didn't know anybody else who would co-sign for me. But in retrospect, mm-hmm. I didn't know people. I just didn't know how to engage them. I understand. And then, and then, I was thinking about family and I was thinking about friends. I wasn't thinking about my network. Like my dean, I believe that if I had asked him, he well, wouldn't have. Yeah. yeah. And I understand. And that's a tough one to go to somebody about this type of debt. But it's also about being honest. Mm-hmm. And then they can tell you what they can and can't do or be, tell you what your resources are. And I think this is a good pause segment because we all, this the problem with, you know, in terms of Black students getting into higher education, they always talk about the money. President Biden has now, you know, thrown uh, lenders, student loan uh, recipients a lifeline. But something that we choke on, of course, is, oh, how much is that going to cost? How much is that going to cost? And you know, I had a boss who basically said, Kendra, this is an investment into your future. It's really because Dr. Miss um, Bell um, said that to me that I kept asking financial aid, okay, and not really getting afraid of mm-hmm. that information because I never forget when she said, this is, this is your investment in yourself. And you have to understand that. We have to stop being afraid of having these conversations Although we know education is expensive, there are ways to pay for it. So you 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 uh, decide I'm gonna join the military. Before I did that, though, let me tell you. Yeah, please tell I, me. Okay, please. I, I wrote Oprah a letter. I said, ah! Oprah. What you write, Oprah? See, I want you to tell her. What you doing? I, I was tapping into everybody's email box. Well, you, you name it. I'm for your going good. You what you gonna tell Oprah? What you gonna tell Oprah? I wrote her a whole letter. And mailed what did you it. Say, Doctor Moses. I wish I would have kept. It. I wish I would have kept a copy. What you have? <laughs> what you write Oprah for? What she was gonna do? I mean, if anybody can do it, it's Oprah. Oh, you thought about that? She said, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. You like, like, she give my cars. She can help me with this bill. Oh, you know you I, I was digging. I, I was digging. Hey, hey. Um, but I applied for, I started the process with the United States Army and the United States Navy. The Air Force, not the Army, the Air Force and the Navy. Mm-hmm. The Air Force, their recruiter was really difficult to get in contact with. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Uh, Navy. I dropped off, to be honest with you. I dropped off because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Navy recruiter was on point. Mm-hmm. Every document, every meeting, every exam. With that, I was like, you know what? This is the place to be. Okay. All right. I yes. want to be with the Navy. I want to be with people who have their paperwork and everything in line and in order okay. to move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to proceed with the Navy. All my paperwork was done within the first month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. And here's the trick. That's the trick. It's always something. Um, the moment spring semester started, my package was approved. Okay. So what that means is the Navy pays for three and a half years and I still owe them four years. Yes, that's right. But that's the trick. Why is that a trick? That's what they always It's usually year for year. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. So they accept me in the spring so they don't pay for the fall. So that's 30 grand that falls on me and then they just pay the other 30 grand and moving forward, but they still get a full year for paying. Okay, okay, okay. 
it is what it is. This is a, once again, God working his, his magic. <laughs> I will tell you how that works out. <laughs> so once I got into Penn State College of Medicine, I think this point in my life was easy. You know, there were things that I learned in middle school that prepared me for high school. There are challenges that I overcame in undergrad that prepared me for medical school. Mm -hmm. Leaving out of undergrad, there was a few things that I told myself. I call it my own paradigm. And it's one, the only thing between where you are and where you want to be is you. Um, why? Mm -hmm. Because you own it. How? No excuses. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of goes back to back. The only thing between where you are and where you want to be is you. Mm -hmm. So what? Own it. Why? Well, how? No excuses. And then why? Because it just comes down to you. Oh. At the end of the day, people are going to look back at you and they're going to say, well, what happened? Well, you know, I'm going to stop you here because all of this wisdom did not come overnight. No, right? it didn't. <laughs> how do we get insight? How, and you're younger than I am, uh, audience note. How do you get this insight? How do you get this, this resolve? And I'm going to ask you really question. Um, People want to know, you had you talked about your mom. Where's mm -hmm. dad? Uh, dad, for most of my younger years, he was in jail. And then when I turned 18, because I remember this, as I was getting ready to go to Rutgers, he was working there as a janitor. Working where? At Rutgers. Oh, really? So your dad was a janitor while at, the, at your university while you were enrolled? No, this is why I remember it. If he remained a janitor, I would have had free tuition, but he ended up oh. moving to South Carolina once I went to Rutgers. Oh, he left Rutgers and he moved to South Carolina. Correct. Ah, did y'all have bonding time at all? No. No? I feel like for me, a large part of my earlier years was trying to be noticed by my father mm -hmm. while he was trying to figure out his life and going through prison. And then my later years was me focusing more on me. Interesting. And the things that I want in life and the, and the story that I want to be able, my life to tell. Yes. So by that point, he had recently got out of prison. He was working on getting his life together. He was engaged and getting ready to get married. Okay. So he was busy. I understand. At the same time. Reality for himself. Correct. Yeah. The question is, you go ahead and say, you know what? I, I need to make my own plan. Do you remember how old you were? I know you talk about high school, but sometimes we, we have this thing in our brain that turns on and we can project that and we can turn, turn down the noise that someone told me. We can turn down the noise. Our future can come into view. Mm -hmm. You have an age for that? For me, it was middle school. It was, it was middle school. You're very, yeah. you've been this whole time, you've been very insistent that it's middle, it was middle school. It was that it moment. Was middle school. It was that moment where I said, hey, you know what? I can choose to continue to live the life that I see or create the life that I want. Understand. What do you say to people who say, this sounds all too fairy ish cliche-ish, and then I know what you're going to say next, Dr. Moses. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So I, I'm not a fan of pulling myself up by the bootstraps or that anybody can do what I've done because I, I do recognize that that is to discount people, other people's struggle. Mm -hmm. I always said to myself when I saw some of my friends falling by the wayside, but I say, by the grace of God, there I go. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. And I just know that this by God's grace that I was able to move away from certain elements that I was exposed to. Like you said, mm -hmm. drugs, did I do them? No, but I, have I been in the midst? Yes. Watching someone steal when I walked in the store and walked out? Yes, I've mm -hmm. seen it, you know, been exposed to 
going to relatives who've been in prison and been to a jail myself. Yes, I see it. I know what you're talking about. So I get it. What else? So you're saying uh, we are in college. We went to medical school. What are your thoughts now as you leave in medical school? So my thoughts as I'm approaching the end of my uh, medical school career, one, at this point, I still wanted to go into OBGYN. Every transition in my life up to this point has been by chance, by the grace of God, from high school to undergrad, from undergrad to medical school. I've just been skinning through, literally. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was the one time where uh, God had to remind me that I'm, I'm still God. recognize that it is not just friends. For me, I had arrived at the end of this year and I was like, you know what, well, God, I helped us out. You know, I did the work this time. I performed well in my classes. I did everything to prepare for this next level. I did about four years of research in the obstetric and gynecology lab. Did a lot of different work. I am ready for this next phase of life. And I appreciate you carrying me through, you know, all this. Just to apply and go through the whole health profession scholarship application process, military residency. I applied for OBGYN. Uh, There were 11 spots that year, very limited. And we matched before a normal match. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. So I found out that I had matched. I was uh, at an Indian restaurant with my best friend, Dr. Sarika Samuels, who does veterinary medicine. And then my other best friend, Jeremy O'Brien Griffin, who Mm -hmm. does writing and performing arts. Very nice. And I opened it up and it said I had matched to a transitional year internship. Yeah, that happened to me. That's a letdown. I didn't apply for a transitional year internship. I, yeah, they put you there. Yeah, I remember my discussions with my recruiter. It was, hey, you have no responsibility. You don't owe us anything until you are done with your training. Mm. I went back through my military contract, read it all out. It stated that, hey, you only have to apply. It mm. did not say that we can assign you anywhere inside our training. I sat back because I always do this. Every time something happens, I always sit back and I think about what are my options? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, hey, I could lean on the contract and state that, hey, I'm going to go still apply civilian and do one year there. But mm-hmm. after that one year, the military will pull me back. Yes. And when they pull me back, it's not going to be pretty. Ah. So I decided I was going to go in for a transitional year internship. Uh, that was one of the most bitter times of my life. Really? And it was an interesting time because for a lot of people around me, for me to become a doctor is great. Right, right. And and I do want to highlight that, you know, going through this process of higher education and still being connected with family, a lot of times there's not a space to talk about the struggles that you have because they don't compare to people who are trying to eat and live. That's right. And find a job. Uh, Correct. Right. Uh, This is another one of those moments where it's like, well, hey. Yeah, I didn't get the residency that I wanted. I'm about to go do a transitional year. And they're like, well, hey, at least you're a doctor and you're going into a residency. I don't get it. You, yeah. Uh, uh, so there really wasn't a space to kind of release or to express. No, they don't get it. Dissatisfied yeah. I was. Yeah. Because the response is always, well, at least you're a doctor. I got and, it. I said, I felt like a failure. And, you know, I did yeah. four years to come up with that. And it's not. But again, they, they, they just don't know how you feel and you're looking at everybody go oh yeah I get to go to be a, you know start uh, my training as an obstetrician what did you uh, do your research in uh so I did my research in on bacterial colonization of the vagina and just kind of looking at how different uh bacteria affects the pH balance right bacterial vaginosis versus chlamydia yeah. or just focus on B, uh, bacterial vaginosis a common vaginal bacterial okay all right cool so you all just right. focus on that you did that for four years? For about four years. So I would do it 
intermittently throughout first and second year. And then as I got closer to my fourth year, I had a lot of time to kind of just stay there because the lab was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Oh, so y'all just found out I, that Flagyl still works? It, it <laughs> still works. Uh, I think there's still a lot of research going on about if whether or not mm -hmm. we can use probiotics. Probiotics, yeah, that was that. It's not evidence-based medicine yet, but mm -hmm. that's where the research is leaning. See if okay. there's a benefit to that. Okay. okay, cool. All right, so you did all that research to come up with a transitional year. So I went into that internship extremely bitter. Uh, ah, it was my reminder that I love medicine. Okay. The only thing that kept me going was patient care. The mm -hmm. only reason I studied, the only reason I showed up on point willing to give it my all was because there was a patient in front of me, oh, somebody who was asking for my help. So I showed up with them in mind every time. And that carried me through that year. Mm -hmm. Following that, I went out and did a general medical officer tour. Oh, so for okay. TV, they have this program where most people were doing an intern year and right. then you go out and be like a primary care doctor for active duty military members. Right. Yes. Um, those two years turned out to be the most transformative for me. Two, um, you did two years. Two years. Uh, I guess it's also important for me to mention how I ended up in anesthesia. So another part wait, of that. I'm waiting on when you came, became, when you saw the light and came <laughs> over and allowed for me to grace you um, with your staff. <laughs> yeah. So it, during that transitional year, my goal was to do everything related to OBGYN. Mm -hmm. So OBGYN is a surgical specialty. So I was rotating in the surgical ICU, which is ran by anesthesia at Walter Reed. I also did a rotation with anesthesia. Mm, yeah. I wanted to know what was happening all around. Okay. And during for, for patient care. Uh, when I went through both departments, the personalities were in line with mine. Very relaxed, very, let's talk about it, but we're not going to sit here really long. It's either it works or it doesn't work. We're going to do it or we're not going to do it. You can't give away all our secrets in anesthesia, okay? <laughs> you can't give away all our secrets. And then I love that it was hands-on. So mm -hmm. when I went out to Okinawa, things started to open up for me. And there was a song. There was two songs. So I, I love music. One song going into my intern year, it was asking, how far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? Ooh, and I remember, I do not know. All I know is, how far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? That sounds like a country song, but it's nice. Come and feel me, Jesus. It's a gospel song. Oh, it's a gospel song, um, okay. Yeah, and I remember just listening to that song on repeat whenever I was in my car, just kind of breaking down, like, what is going on, God? Like, I've done everything. I'm right here. Just arrived in Okinawa, where it felt like, though my life wasn't in order and it was in complete chaos, I was in complete peace. Mm -hmm. It was only like standing in the eye of a storm. And mm -hmm. at that point, it was a song saying, Take everything. I don't want it. I don't need it. I just want you. How'd that song go? Won't you take everything? I don't want it. I don't need it. God, I just want you. And then all I could <laughs> So you missed your, uh, your first calling, which was to be a singer. <laughs> <laughs> so I was pursuing that in undergrad also. <laughs> You were, you were talking about, oh, I just all them songs as God Almighty stepped in. Yeah, you was also singing, right? I, I was. And a fun fact, you told me that you applied, what, did you audition for American Idol? I auditioned for American Idol, correct. Mm -hmm. What did you sing on American Idol? Ooh, I, I don't remember. That was so <laughs> It wasn't a gospel song. It was an old school song. 
I can hear you singing a uh, John Legend. John Legend. I probably did something like that. I definitely mm-hmm. a lot of give me your give me your best one with uh what's that? My nephew sings it. Uh, give me all of you. What is that? What's all all of me? Where you go? Oh yeah. And I give you. I'm a word. Hit that note. Hit that note. <laughs> <laughs> um, I won't put you on the spot. What would I do without your smart mouth? Drawing me in, you kicking me out. Got my head spinning. No kidding. I just can't pin you down. Oh. I don't know the words, but. Uh... <laughs> Sounds good to me. Go ahead, Tom Legend. Go ahead. You're going to take my show to another level. So. <laughs> So you come on over to us, right? Yeah. So I, I ended up in Okinawa, Japan, working with the Marines. At that time, I continued to rotate at the Foster Hospital with the mm-hmm. anesthesiologist just to kind of get some more exposure, see if maybe this is something I want to do. Coming out of my first year, it was time to apply to go back to residency. Mm-hmm. And I go, like, hey, do I want to go back and do OBGYN? Do I want to go back and do anesthesia? A few things went through my mind. One, I realized that I had put on blinders. Mm. At that point, I had never considered anything else. Right. And my reason for OBGYN was no longer valid. Okay. You know, babies are born every day and OBGYNs do a fantastic job at doing it. Mm-hmm. Somebody can do it a lot better. And I probably wasn't going to do it for my own kid. <laughs> Two, uh, the personalities. My personality, I think it lends more to anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, it was the type of job that we do. You know, our job is it's either going to work or it's not going to work. Mm-hmm, right. So there's no in between. There's no maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, we have plan A, plan B, plan C. A lot of flexibility. Yes, you have. Yeah, to. you're sizing up the situation and you're yes. saying, "How am I going to address this?" That's right. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of going through the steps as you go along. Mm-hmm. You're prepared. And you, get, and you get women's care, and you and that's yeah. another thing. You do get women's care. As yeah. an anesthesiologist, and so you, you that need to be involved as much as you want to be in terms of obstetrics delivery, advocating mm-hmm. for women is definitely part of what we do. So I decided to apply for anesthesia. Mm-hmm. I got accepted, and I came back to Walter Reed where I met you, Doctor K. Ah, that's where we met, Doctor Moses. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you thought I was uh, laid back and, oh, she, no, no, no. All those good things. Uh, laid back. No, I'm not. Well, I'm serious <laughs> about my patients. I think yeah. you know that. I'm serious about my patients. And you wasn't mm-hmm. just going to come in there and do anything, right? <laughs> but it was a uh, it was pleasure uh seeing you develop and mature into the specialty and take that leadership seriously and also take the charge of being both a physician a care provider and also just applaud you for also being in the military because you all have other duties and mm-hmm. other responsibilities uh that come along with that so your rank now is what uh, lieutenant commander lieutenant commander and you you did your uh payback for medical school or you're doing that now where are you in that process and that commitment so i'm doing that now at this moment i owe three years mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. medical school uh-huh how does that feel now you you know you had your moments like you had said the disappointment or you felt like why didn't i get the uh position i wanted um for residency 
and you struggle with looking over your military documents, like, what did I sign up for? And I think I've heard other people say that too, right? Like you always had that, what exactly? Because I was just desperate. I wanted my medical school paid for. And so I wrote a piece, you know, Smart Black Girl on my website because I, and we talk about this issue of not, you know, being smart, going through school, but the financial burden. And we have to really consider that there must be some sacrifice. Correct. There must be. And the medical corps and and joining the medical corps for the military is one way to get your education paid for or doing ROTC in college. And I think that for us who either first generation professionals or don't have family members who join the military, sometimes the information is scary to absorb. So we just say, no, I'm not listening to it. You mm-hmm. say, okay, hey, gonna do it, gotta do it. And then you're like, okay, wait a minute, what did I sign, sign up for in my desperation? Mm-hmm. And then would you say it all worked out? Yeah, I, I would say uh, it turned out to be one of my better decisions. I think my entire life has been what I call a blessing in the pipeline. Mm. And, and it's a blessing in the pipeline, even in this moment and being United States Navy and going through a transitional year, internship, going out to Okinawa. It's because I had set up to do OBGYN. Had I got accepted in the United States Army, yes. it's that I would have done a straight through program because that's the way that they are set up. Right. But I got accepted into the Navy. Mm-hmm. The Navy is set up differently. Yeah. And they have different requirements, though they are shifting to straight through programs. But at that time, it was one year internship and then you do two years GMO. This break was necessary. It was necessary not only from a career standpoint of, well, what is it that you want to do? Okay, yes. You came out with this idea that you wanted to be a doctor. You wanted to do obstetrics and gynecology at the age of 12. Mm-hmm. You never considered a life doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Throughout this process, it's been a growth for us from a spirituality standpoint. Yes. And I believe and trust in God to carry me through and what his plans are for me in my life. Because those were different periods where it's like, okay, well, I'm here now. I did it. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I got something else for you. There's more in store. Yeah. Um, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Just being mindful of that. And then getting to a point where I love what I do. Yes. You know, since the very first year as an anesthesia resident, CA1. Yes. It wasn't a single day where I didn't love what I did. And it showed, it really showed that you were enjoying it, that you met the challenge. The question is, you know, you really feel that way. And Mm -hmm. now you're about to do what? So now I am a staff anesthesiologist at Fort Smith, which is, (laughs) it's a different feeling. And I'm really enjoying this phase. Mm -hmm. And I'm more excited that I get an opportunity to go on one of the uh, Navy's medical ships. So I'll be going on the comfort. How long you got to be on the comfort? Um, don't know yet, but I don't mind. Yeah. I, I feel like this is what I signed up for. All right. When I imagine myself joining the military, I imagine myself being forward deployed in an area doing work that's critical. The comfort is one of our mercy missions, our humanitarian missions. Correct. That's nice to be a part of a mission. That, that's really something that you'll remember as you yeah. look back on your career in the military. And so when you wrap it all up, how's mom and their siblings? Everybody's doing well. And what do you, you say, this is because of the leadership and the stewardship that my mother had. What would you say was the ribbon in the sky for your family? Because in Newark, you know, there are a lot of families. A father went to prison. Mom had to have fast food. I know you said she was a stern disciplinarian, but sounds like she was able to keep her eye on your educational process. 
What do you think was the ribbon in the sky for that? I think uh, there are things that I get from my mom. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that I get from her is my hustle. Your hustle. All right. My mom is one of the hardest working people that I know. That's the beautiful thing. You know, you put her in any race, in any room, and she will likely outperform anybody. That is outstanding. She's proud of you, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. You would know if you met her. I know what I missed. In the daily line. (laughs) (laughs) My baby. That's my baby. That's my baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's outstanding, Dr. Moses. You know, we're at a critical time where we are saying that, of course, we have not been able to increase the number of Black male students in medical school. They said, I think we're in almost a 2%, if that high. Black medical students overall, 6.5%. Okay. And I'm going to ask you this, like I asked my other interview, what do you think that we need to do to increase that number? Is it a messaging and how early or what? I don't want to be cliche, but I I will say representation matters. Representation does matter. Representation matters. And not just being present in your place of work, but being present in the places that these kids are. Okay. For me, my pediatrician was a Black female. Throughout this entire process of becoming a doctor, she never really spoke on me becoming a doctor, but she was an excellent pediatrician. Okay. So you had exposure early to a Black physician, so therefore yeah. you knew that it existed. The, the connection didn't happen there. It, mm-hmm. it never connected with me that, hey, this is a Black person, I'm a Black person, they're a doctor, I can be a doctor, okay. because that was never our discussion. And okay. that's why I'm saying representation matters where these kids are. The men that we want to go into medicine, they need to be interacted in in that way mm-hmm. that plants an idea. Okay. All right. So you believe that we need to start earlier Mm -hmm. and we need to have some more boots on the ground, grassroots efforts to connect our young black boys to the concept of medicine. Correct. And I think this is important because I had you and you were gracious to come out and support me on my health initiative. That's actually one of the goals that that I have with uh, my initiative. Uh, lace, lace up leading athletes to continued excellence. And that is that we are boots on the ground at an event, track me, doing mm-hmm. some healthcare initiative where someone could run up and meet a Dr. Moses. And I think that's outstanding. I mean, I think that's that's really what you're saying is per chance you have interacted with somebody at a community event and they asked you what you did and you will tell them what? It, it depends on what kind of event I'm at. If if <laughs> I'm a, if I'm amongst yeah. rising students and people who are aspiring to different things then I'm a doctor a medical doctor well what do you say I'm in a room of professionals then I'm just a military officer okay no we're talking about when you're out and amongst the keep the community that you're talking about if you're at a church fair are you going to tell them hey I'm Dr. Richard Moses no why not I, I feel like sometimes if we come out too strong like that, it makes it difficult for people to communicate with us. So yeah, I'm more interested in learning people. You said representation matters and they need Correct. to see that. Correct. But it goes back to your discussion about how, you know, you don't wear your white coat mm-hmm. because you want to start to co- connect with people. But does it say Dr. K on there? It does say that. <laughs> Dr. K looks like you. Correct. You know what and Correct. that's what I'm saying. I don't think that you should feel like I don't want to be elevated 
mm-hmm. in front of these crowds. Because again, if you come to my church fair, one thing that families always, this Dr. Richard Moses over here. This Dr. <laughs> Richard Moses over here. Doctor, doctor, that's the good doctor over there. Talk yeah. to my son, talk to him. And that's what we do. They do that all the time. So I do want to encourage you to do that, to to not be afraid to be in the midst and say, yes, I'm Dr. Richard Moses and how you doing and how you, how school son. And this is the things that you need to do. I do think that, like you said, representation matters and it does matter. I've been in the beauty shop. I'm like, please, I just want to get my hair done. Why y'all? But then I had to kind of say, they're proud of me, just like I'm proud of you. And they want to show me off. Mm-hmm. They do, even if they say, what did the doctor say? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to let you have the final word. What do you want to tell me? Final word is, I love what I do. I think being a physician is an amazing career mm-hmm. that anybody should pursue if they have a heart for caring for other people. Yeah. You know, we have the opportunity to be welcomed into vulnerable spaces at vulnerable times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's important to never take that for granted. I am always available. I do a lot of mentorship and public speaking. And on the topic of representation matters, one of my goals in the future is to start a nonprofit, Lillian Hands, which will focus on inner city youth, bringing them into STEM majors and medicine, if that's what they prefer. Now, what do you want to call your your, uh, nonprofit? Uh, Lillian's Hands. Lillian's Hands. And I'm a guest. That's your mother's name? Uh, That's actually my grandmother's name. Okay. I love it. I love it. My grandmother... She was murdered when my mom was 17. Wow. We'll have to do a whole another story. Now. There's, there's a lot of things happening. Woo, Dr. Moses, we got to God I've been cut. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna, I want Lillian's hands. I look forward to learning more about it. I look forward yes. to you telling me all about what you conceive that to be and how I can support you. And you always are welcome on using my health and wellness platform as we, you know, have this kindred spirit of getting out in the community. It has been a pleasure to be a part, just a small part of your development as a physician, a caring physician, and a very skilled anesthesiologist. And I definitely salute you for serving your country and serving your country well. And we will, what do they say in the Navy? Fair, what do they say? Because you're going off onto the comfort. Tell me now when they tell you, uh, good luck <laughs> and God bless. <laughs> so I, they don't tell us. Have a fine Navy day. Yeah, that's what it was. Have a fine Navy day. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Moses. Thank and, you. Uh, My pleasure. All right. Thank you. What the doctor say?